Hello and welcome to With the First Link, the podcast that hopes to make our future as bright and as just as the one that we see in Star Trek The Next Generation. And we think that one way to do that is to recap and discuss the entire series one episode at a time, doing our best to look at it all through an anti-oppression, pro-diversity, anti-racist lens. I am Ruthie Cowper-Samoshi. And I'm Matthew Simone, and today we'll be talking about The Big Goodbye. This episode was written by Tracy Torme and directed by Joseph L. Scanlon. It was aired first on January 9th, 1988. 1988. We're into now. Instead of 1987. We're into oh, a new yeah, year. Oh, yeah, look at that. We've gone, yeah, we've gone into a new, a new year of yeah. Star Trek. I yeah. think this was actually the first year. Uh, this is a thing I remember, and I don't know if I've made this up in my brain. My what I recall is that Canada didn't get Star Trek until its second season. So we well, like to the second season of the show. We got the first season, but not for a, a year after the show had already started airing in the United States. Yeah, I I have heard that. I don't remember because I was like two in nineteen eighty eight, but uh but yes, th- this is what I what I remember. Yeah, I forget you're such a spring chicken still. Such a spring chicken. Younger. Yeah, my <laughs> my big four O is coming up this summer, Ooh. and I don't know how to feel about that. I mean, <laughs> since the passage of time is false, who knows how old you really? It are. is, yeah, both both metaphorically and physically. But yeah. it it feels like the you know what the part of that is that's weird for me is that I'm starting to now become older. Than the time in which my on or my my TV heroes are frozen in. Yeah, yeah, that's a weird and then you're feeling. Like, I'm like, what happens to me when I become older than Captain Picard in Star Trek? This is like a thing I actually think about. I'm like, what is what is the significance of that for me in my life? And yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like, I feel like like there was a time when I identified most with Wesley, and now I'm getting into the part where I identify more with like. Riker and and Troy and Crusher. Oh yeah, yeah. And now like um, I'm eventually I'm going to identify with Picard and then with like Loxana Troy and Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the that's pretty interesting actually. Yeah, we start identifying with different characters at different yeah. life stages. Yeah. I was thinking actually this isn't TNG related but it is Star Trek related. I had that same feeling when I watched Wrath of Khan recently. Oh yeah. So, okay. yeah, like normally uh, like I hadn't seen the movie for a number of years. And in the scene where there's like a, like a reconciliation between David, Captain Kirk's son, mm-hmm. and Kirk, and I always related more to David being like, oh, it's, you know, I'm being hugged by Kirk, this father figure mm-hmm. character. Like, and, but afterwards, having, now being older, I related more to like the mentor role that Kirk's trying to play. Oh, that's Because so I had been working with younger people. Like, I worked with youth as part of my job, and I was like, oh, wow, like, I'm now I'm relating more to old Kirk rather than young David. And yeah, I think that's the stories, the dimensions that we can access the story change, right? So that yeah, makes sense. On a slightly different note for today's check-in, uh, we are going to talk, uh, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to talk about a recent appearance that LeVar Burton had on Anderson Cooper's uh, show, Full Circle, um, where he was talking, well, they both were talking about recent... I don't know if we want to say controversy, do we? Recent events that happened uh, having to do with uh, some old racist Dr. Seuss books that have been taken out of print. Yeah. So that's what we're going to talk about. It was controversial for some people, I guess. I yes. Don't know. Yeah. What <laughs> else I mean, is just like, well, why would we want that in a book? Let's- yeah. And I think like we're the, the let's not get into a huge discussion about uh, cancel culture because we don't have time for that and it's probably not. Not helpful, but I what one of the things so so basically Anderson Cooper brought this up. Uh, LeVar Burton is a bit of an expert, I'd say, in children's literature. He hosted Reading Rainbow. He's done a lot of work uh, with literacy and and bringing bringing literacy to kids in a variety of uh, media, first through television, now through the internet. Yeah, Reading Rainbow ran for, it was over 20 years, like 25 yeah, years. Yeah. And, and now he's doing his podcast, uh, LeVar Burton Reads. So, and so one of the things that he said in that interview was, well, I mean, the first thing he said about it was, when you learn more, you then have a responsibility to do better, which I think is super important. But then the next thing he said that really resonated with me is that we have to understand that our heroes are human. And 
my takeaway from that was not that he was like, we should cut people some slack when they mess up because they're human, but more that we cannot treat anyone as infallible or perfect. And the the example that he brought up, he said he learned this really well from one of his great storytelling mentors, Gene Roddenberry, mm-hmm. because he said that Gene Roddenberry had this amazing vision for the future, um, which we see in Star Trek. But he also thought that all of the women should wear these little short skirts all the time. Yep, yep. And and we have to be able to hold those two things. We can we can celebrate the work that that our heroes or our our idols or whatever that they they do and the good things that they do, but we can't put them up on such a pedestal that when someone points out a flaw, we get personally offended and and start, you know, railing against political correctness or cancel culture or whatever you want to call it today. Sure. We, we have to, in acknowledging that that our heroes are human, we also have to acknowledge that those that, that that their flaws will need to be reckoned with at some point. Maybe this is a better transition than we thought. Or, earlier you'd said, and on an unrelated note, and then we talked about this, uh, the Anderson Cooper interview, mm-hmm. but as I have aged, I also look at my heroes differently. Yep. In the past, Picard was like the perfect... He was the perfect person, perfect leader. And as I've aged and I watch Star Trek over again, there are times where I say, wow, gee, I would actually really debate you on this decision that you made. Or mm-hmm. um, So even our fictional characters, I think when we, we can call them out on things too. I mean, we, we kind of do that now and going back and watching the, pod, or watching the episodes for the podcast, we'll yeah. say, you know, this, this episode actually hasn't aged super well. Yeah. But that's not to necessarily – like I, I don't think LeVar was saying this to – to dishonor Gene Roddenberry, he was just saying like, no, we can still, we can take part of it that's good and we hold on to that and then we say these parts need to be updated or changed. Or we could say, yeah, there's actually nothing good about this person or this work anymore. We need to get rid of it now. Like, and that's okay to do. Yeah, I think like it's it's important to have that option there because I think sometimes, so like uh, personally, I will say with Star Trek, I have so many warm feelings for TNG especially. I recognize a lot of problems in it, but I, you know, I really love the show. So I'm not going to say like, well, I'm never going to watch Star Trek or you know any Star Trek related thing again because there are these problems with it. That's not where I am. But some people might, and that's fine. Like, <laughs> that's okay. We we need to be able to hold that people are able to do great things and also horrible things, I think. But we also need to allow people to say like, no, this this thing is forever ruined because like I, there's a lot going on and has been going on for years, I feel like, with people who grew up loving the Harry Potter books and now seeing the kinds of things that J.K. Rowling says and the kind of hatred that she stokes uh, against trans folks and saying, I, I'm never going to have anything to do with that franchise ever again. And I don't think p- anyone should buy those books and give give her another cent. And I, you know, that that's totally valid, even though there are some things in, in those books that spoke to a lot of people. LeVar is amazing in this interview. And and uh, I've been able to meet a number of, of Star Trek folk over the years. And LeVar Burton's not one of them. And that's to my regret, because mm-hmm. I always hoped that we'd have one chance to be like, hey, you know, I grew up watching Reading Rainbow. And, yeah. um, and his voice is so iconic. Glad that he actually got to read one of his own books. His, I had his so good. The so writer good. who swallowed the storm. Yeah. He said in there that that story is so important to us. Narrative is so important for building mm-hmm. empathy. Mm-hmm. That that telling stories is a way to teach and train and and learn empathy and how to connect with other people. And that ultimately our main impact, we hope, you know, as mentors or just to one another in our in our lives, is to bring out the best in others. Yeah. You know, he said that. He's like, as we should be looking to bring out the best in others. And that's what a teacher and an educator did for him is is realize that he was a great reader and that he talked about how in grade three, his grade three teacher recognized that he had this gift for reading and that it was the first time that anyone outside of his own family had recognized something that he was good at. And now look at the result of that, how we've all benefited from that. If a hero or someone that we respect or admire is no longer helping to bring out the best in our society Mm. or in us as individuals anymore, then at some point, what maybe they've fallen out of use now. Yeah. And if you'll allow me to jump franchises for a moment, (laughs) this is one of the aspects I actually really loved about the second of the new Star Wars movies in Last Jedi, because you have a conversation between Luke, who's become grumpy and is just sitting on his island, um, and Yoda, 
And they both like, gee, we're terrible mentors. Like we actually have completely failed. Ray, we failed everybody. <laughs> and Yoda says, we are what they grow to be to 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 supersede to get to better than us, you know, right? Um, that eventually we've like become useless now in a way. And so I wonder if that happens. Is that just something that happens with all of our heroes? Is that we, do we get to a point where we just like grow past them? You know, when yeah. do, do we have to recognize or be, be mindful of that threshold? And like you said, if we call out some people that, that are heroes or, or to others, I, I think, Sometimes people feel almost personally attacked by that because maybe they're not ready to let go of that person or see them as flawed anymore. I mean, I think like what you were saying about about bringing out the best and what what that's what people, many people want to do. And especially I think storytellers and artists a lot um, want to to bring out the best in others. I think in some ways, yeah, like that is how that's how progress works is that you you want people to do better than those who came before them because they learn mm-hmm. more. I think I think what what makes for a good world is that people are always building on what has come before them. And I also think though that part of where this gets really complicated is because we live in like a capitalist world, a capitalist society, if we say, "Oh, this person has, you know, isn't useful anymore," Let's stop like giving them money. That's also like taking away their livelihood. Or like, I don't think when when you said that person isn't useful anymore, I I don't think you meant any stretch like, oh, you think they should just starve now, which is not, I think, what anyone is saying. But it's that we don't ha- we we should not be rewarding. It's also it's a challenge of power, right? So in which. People have said, well, cancel culture is just another kind of censorship. And you're like, well, people who apparently have been canceled are still very present in our like public discourse. Yes. So it's not like they are gone. You know, when someone's censored, we're talking about like the concern that there are dissident voices that are speaking to power or against power or challenging power that are being silenced. And that's much different. J.K. Rowling is never going to starve. No. Like that's not, not going to happen. Absolutely so. Not. I think not being able to understand the difference between th- those two things is not understanding how privilege exists in our society totally. and which privileged voices exist in our society. So that's why the, the conversation on cancel culture is is dumb because it's <laughs> it, it it doesn't take into account that power imbalance. You know, this isn't someone saying like, you know, we're silencing you know some author who's writing about trying to take down a totalitarian regime and their books are being burned you know this right. is t- we're talking about like a billionaire author who is really causing some serious damage and so like we should probably talk about that a little bit but it's not like they can't tweet anymore like look how far you really have to go in the insane things you're saying before twitter actually finally <laughs> cuts you off well and and i would say also like you said it doesn't really take that power dynamic into consideration and i would say it's actually even more than that it it pretends that the power dynamic is reversed. Right. Like it yes, pretends absolutely. that those without yes. with with the least amount of power are actually the ones with the most amount of power. Totally. Nonsense. Yeah. That's where like how many harmful conspiracy theories have started that way? Yeah. That there is some seedy group of people that are underneath everything and they are the ones who are truly controlling like what's yeah. going on and and then you can pin that on whatever people group. I also just want to say, I mean, you already expressed your love for LeVar Burton. I think he is just so amazing. Yeah, delightful human being. LeVar Burton stands out definitely because I I think I actually knew him before he was on Star Trek. I, okay. I'm, I mean, it was all similar era of time. Mm-hmm. But I think I, it was one of the reasons I was drawn to the show is I was like, oh, LeVar Burton's on the show. And I remember him from reading Rainbow. Okay. And so his work, his social work and work in the community is, is already well known. But I always love learning other actors on Star Trek who are trying to bring the Star Trek world to our present day in some way. Yeah. Uh, you know, Patrick Stewart's done a lot of work with with Amnesty International. And Armin Shimmerman does does work too. Yeah, like a lot of them do. I, Chase Masterson runs uh, Pop Culture Hero Coalition. It's like an anti-bullying network. And so, yeah, a lot of them are doing like this amazing social work to make the fabric of our society more like 
the Federation, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I was I love seeing that. It makes me proud to be a Star Trek fan is knowing that there are these actors that are trying to further our society. And even now with Rod Roddenberry and the and him founding the Roddenberry Foundation mm. dedicated to the values of Star Trek and, yeah. and funding organizations and projects that are making our world more like 24th century Earth. LeVar Burton. So you had you you're, you think you had seen him before you saw him on Star Trek. Did you find looking at his face it was weird to see him without the visor? I think it was important that they were trying to they're trying to give representation to someone with a disability on the show and show how they could still be as an equal participant in the rest of the crew and everything else, Mm -hmm. which was great. I did find that as an actor, I always felt sort of disconnected from him that way. The visor was when they replaced the the visor with his ocular impacts, like in the movies. Mm -hmm. And and also they foreshadowed that in the last episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, which we'll get to way later. In a few years. I could connect to him a lot more. So then I'm like... Is that my, there's something biased about me then that I, is this an issue with my own empathy that I'm, I can't connect Hmm. as well to this person because I can't see their eyes. And so is that on me? Like there's so much of his expression that you can't see that when the visor's gone, you're like, oh, there's Jordy underneath there. There's LeVar Burton underneath this visor. You know, is that the same with makeup on an actor? Mm. I don't know. Interesting. I, I didn't find that. I don't think. I think actually the one thing when you were just saying about the representation of like physical disabilities, I I would love to at some point talk with Star Trek fans who have physical disabilities and maybe like get that get some of that perspective on mm-hmm. the character it's because Jordy on the show, yeah. Yeah, because I feel like representation is super important and it's super great and also there's such a problem with non-disabled actors playing disabled characters in TV and movies yes, in general absolutely. like it's such a it's such a problem so I would really like to know more about how how the character felt to people with disabilities yeah the other thing I was gonna say though I so I didn't have that issue with the with not seeing his eyes but I always just found when I saw his when I saw his face without the visor I would think he looked so odd <laughs> yeah because like, you're more used to seeing him yeah, with it on, yeah. and It wasn't like, I don't know what else I was expecting, but I've realized actually now that people who I have met, like, so people that I work with or like my students, a a lot of them now, like I meet them for the first time and I see them every day with a mask on. And then when I see them either like online or if we go outside or whatever and I see them take their mask off, I'm always surprised by what the bottom half of their face looks like. Like you have a mouth. It's so weird. And I'm like... I was doing this in my head. I was like, what did I expect their mouth to look like that I'm surprised by what it looks like? And I don't know, but I'm always surprised to see what their face looks like. It's so weird. So I think there's like something of that going on with uh, with LeVar Burton too. Now I feel like I've seen enough pictures of him and he looks different because he's older. He's got shorter hair. His beard is white that I'm, I'm more used to seeing him. I'm not like shocked when I see his face without the visor. He has such expressive eyes. LeVar Burton, he does, like even as yeah, an actor. Yeah. So to not to have that whole part missing, but this this could be my own this is this could be my own bias in 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 just connecting to someone who looks different or is dealing with who wears a prosthetic, right? And right. Visor gets really normalized in TNG, so it doesn't come up a lot. No. They don't really refer back to Jordy's disability very much throughout the show. And, and but well, it's something we can get into in other episodes. Let's get into this episode. In this episode, Captain Picard must deliver a perfectly pronounced message to the Harada people in their language or risk ruining any potential for diplomatic relations with them. Unfortunately, he, Crusher, Data, and Waylon get stuck in a 1940s holodeck simulation right before the arranged meeting time. What a pickle. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I just, as I said that, I just realized when I was a kid and we would like, my family would watch Star Trek together anytime the characters would get into like a, a big problem. My mom would always be like, well, they're in a pickle. They're in a pickle. <laughs> that's that's why that occurred to me to say that. This is why, it's why I don't eat pickles. <laughs> I love pickles. I like them outside of things, but I don't want them in food. They're just like, they're, they're traps or little mines inside of your hamburger. You're like, ah, you bit the pickle. Anyways, moving on. So, yeah. So, the Enterprise is on their way to meet the Harada. They go back and forth between calling them the, like, the Harada and the Haradin. The Haradins. I don't know. Maybe the Haradins are, are plural. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, they're meeting the Harada, who are a reclusive, 
insect, insect-like race. They're very reclusive. We're not even going to see them. We're not going to see them. Apparently that had to do with like budget restraints. Tracy Torme, the the writer of the episode, apparently had envisioned that they'd be like these black and yellow wasp-like aliens. Of course. I don't know if it's if that means it's a good thing or a bad thing that we didn't see them, but <laughs> anyway. Well, like we were saying with the some of the like the Sele and Anticans, it's a pretty elaborate costume designs in the For first sure, season. Sure, yeah. And you can see why they might have toned that down later because yeah. they're like, we don't have any money. Probably super this. expensive and I don't I wouldn't say it enhanced the storytelling at all. No, uh, yeah, yeah. Picard is in his ready room with Troy going over it's kind of weird. He's like, he's not practicing, which I feel is what you need to do when you have to give a perfect speech. You should like rehearse it. He's not doing that. He's just going over like how to pronounce the different letters in their language. Well, Picard at heart is kind of an academic. Yeah. He likes to analyze stuff. So he yeah. wants to know, he's talking about how, like what the symbols mean in terms of wording and stuff like that. I understand that. I just don't think it would be very effective in making sure you say it properly if that we never hear him actually rehearse it. That's because there's we might get to hear it later. Yes, that's true. No no spoilers, right? She suggests that he takes a break. It's like, you know, so Troy's like, hey, you know, you get some time on the hollow deck. And apparently the hollow deck has had a recent upgrade to make it more lifelike and more real. And Picard has been interested in running a simulation from a story from his childhood. Yeah, the 1940s. You all, you, you've all read, right? The 1940s detective novels about Dixon Hill. We've all read those, haven't we? I hadn't actually. Actually, <laughs> it was one of the things I looked up or was go- I haven't looked it up. Does, is Dixon Hill an actual character? No. Or is it no? It's, it's just in the world of Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, no. It's based on a various, you know, detective like Dick novels. Tr- Dick Tracy, kind of. I guess that's where it's from. I think so. What I thought was really cool is later on when you see Data on the bridge, like reading them all on the computer screen. It says as the author of the Dixon Hill novels, Tracy Torme. Oh, that's clever. I didn't pick up on that at all. One of the ways to make Data seem a little bit more human is that he reads information from a screen. Rather than just say like plugging his finger into yeah. the computer or whatever, they're like he has he doesn't have like a USB port for data transfer. <laughs> he doesn't, but he reads very fast. He reads very fast, so it's okay. Picard goes into the holodeck, and it's kind of funny how he like he can't just load the program. He has to say it takes place on Earth. It's in the 1940s, San Francisco, and it's this book. He can't just say play this program, which I think is a little funny. I noticed that. I think that was so that they could set up where and when it was going on. Yeah, like I open up Netflix and I'm like, I want a 24th century sci-fi TV show (laughs) called Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah, yeah. They're like, okay, we know what you're looking for. Yeah, but he he goes in um, and his... So he is Dixon Hill and his secretary, in addition to making fun of him for wearing the Starfleet uniform, not being dressed properly, kind of sets up some some plot lines. So she says that your cop friend's new partner was nosing around here. Mr. Leach called twice. And there's a lady named Bradley with nice legs waiting in your office. He doesn't know whose legs that she's referring to. First, he looks at his own legs. To make him innocent, completely innocent. Legs? People look at legs? I didn't know that. (laughs) People look at legs in this century? (laughs) My legs? Can't fool us, Picard. We know what you were thinking. He goes into his office and this Bradley lady, she tells him that someone is trying to kill her. Bum, bum, bum. We get the intro, yeah. Oh, the other thing I was going to say about this, and it happens right after the intro as well. Last episode, you talked about the the log happening like right after the commercial break. Yes, yeah. And you're like, where did they record that? Yeah, on this one, it happens. And I actually remembered this from, I don't know when, I don't know, some point seeing it as a teenager or something. He makes a log entry or we hear a log entry As he's walking into the holodeck, he's like, I am currently entering the holodeck, which has provided many fun diversions for our crew, as well as being useful in in training. And then right after the intro, he's standing on the holodeck and gives us another log about how impressed he is with the holodeck. Shows back at this time, it seems to be a thing where they they really don't think the audience is paying any attention <laughs> to what's going on. Like, yeah. They think the attention spans are really, really low. And I don't know if that's because of the function of commercial breaks is that they they just think that people like you've been gone for five minutes and then you come back yeah. and you're like, I don't know what's Or going you're on. entering the show in the middle. So you need a little summary of the last five yeah. minutes. You can't just hit the back button. Right. I think the other thing though is that 
not that like the audience wasn't necessarily paying attention, but I I feel like watching, you know, street binging TV shows and like watching episodes over and over again, even if it's in the background, like you're gonna notice more than you would have just noticed it if you'd seen it on TV every once in a while. So so I think that's part of it as well. But what I what I kind of like headcanoned this is that Okay, so Picard does record his logs. I think that's a real thing in the show. But I also think that sometimes when he's just thinking things to himself, he thinks them in the form of personal logs. The implication is that the computer is reading his mind. He just thinks it in his head and then it appears as a log entry for the <laughs> no, audience. I, I think <laughs> that, I mean, that's possible. I think it's not that he, I think we're just, as as the audience, we're just listening to his thoughts. Not that this is actually a log, but he just thinks, oh. he just thinks in the form of personal logs sometimes. Oh, that's like, that gives it his own head. That's literally how he daydreams. Yeah, yeah. He's like, Captain's log. Here's <laughs> what I'm doing today. Yeah. Wow. If someone doesn't have an ego by that point, oh my goodness. <laughs> I should start doing that. Like when I'll wake up in the morning, I'll be like, Matthew's Captain's log. log. Matthew is making scrambled yeah. eggs before yeah. heading to work yeah. at the planetary. I think that's a good idea. She's saying that like she's being, she's going to be killed. Yes. And she's trying to list of, you think of who it might be. She's like, it might be my husband or my stepdad daughter cyrus redblock cyrus redblock and then picard's like or maybe a lover it could be a lover throws that in there because that's that's par for the course in this kind of story yeah she she mentions that cyrus redblock thinks she has something that he's looking for the item the item this will come up she manages to convince him to take the case he he really gets in character he's like 20 dollars a day sort of out of the side of his mouth like in a (laughs) I was like, I don't even know what the going rate yeah. would be for anything in that time period. Yeah. He doesn't know. He doesn't seem to know anything else about this period. So I'm like, how does he know how yeah. much to charge? Maybe because it was a line that he read in the story. Must have been. Because he doesn't know what Halloween is. He doesn't know that people look at legs. How is he going to know right. it's $20 a day? Yeah. He's like, well, I haven't said I'll take the case. But she manages to convince him by kissing him, leaving a yep. little lipstick on his face. Uh, Then she takes a business card, and this will also be appropriate. She gives him a C-note. What's a C-note? Do you know? Isn't that $100? Is it? Because she said it's like a retainer. Isn't it a C because it's the Roman numeral C is 100? I thought it might be, but I was like... Is that too smart? I don't know. (laughs) I just just thought like a C-note, but... But like I don't know. Is that not a lot if it's $20 a day? Is that not... I don't know. I don't know how money works. Okay. Oh, see, I looked it up. C note is a slang term for $100. Okay. The C and C note refers to the Roman numeral for 100. Yes. That makes sense. Well done. Well done, Matthew. (laughs) Yeah, so she leaves with, she gives him a C note and leaves, uh, taking a business card before she goes. And then Picard leaves just as someone shows up looking for him. Um, But he's like, nope, I'm not dressed properly. You'll have to call again. Yeah, so he and he saves the program. So he shuts the holodeck down and and leaves. Yeah. Yeah. So then he's in the exposition room. I mean, the conference room, (laughs) and he's going on about. He like records a log entry in front of them. He's like, "Captain's log. I'm about to have a meeting with my staff." (laughs) About the holiday. <laughs> They're all like just sitting there waiting. On Why does he always do that? <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. He like won't. He's just so excited about this. He's going on. He's like, oh, it's amazing. I could. I looked out the window and saw a city block and I actually saw automobiles. Automobiles. Which like Worf is like, <laughs> automobiles? <laughs> Data says that automobiles were an important part of teenage mating rituals. Yeah, this century. is. There's an overarching theme to this whole episode. Yes. That where you're like at the end of the episode, you're like this it, it, This is kind of like an, a thing where they're like, let's bring this stuff from the 40s, yeah. this like attitude, and we'll put it into this century, but it's like with a wink, wink, yeah. nudge, yeah, nudge. Yeah, and you're yeah. like, no, this actually, this is, these are dumb. These yeah. are dumb views. They're backwards and yeah. whatever. And you're like, and so it's, it's. It's kind of, this is early, you know, I think we're kind of early into the development of the culture of the show. Yeah. But in this one, it almost is like, there's too much wink, wink, nudge, nudge in this one. And we'll get into that more later, but it's like, you're kind of like, okay, fine. For sure. He, um... He still got lipstick on his face, Picard. It would have it would have disappeared. Yeah, I'm just saying doesn't make sense. I mean, Wesley came sense. out of the holodeck still like soaking wet, and there was yeah. that. Yeah, so he. I don't know. It's it's Anyways. weird. But like Crusher wipes it off his face, uh, and then he says he's going to go again, but this time he's going to dress properly, and he invites Crusher to come with him 
And she gets super excited until he says he also wants to invite a 20th century historian, uh, Waylon, as well. Waylon, yeah. She also seems jealous that he was kissed by this holodeck woman. She, okay, I was – this is not my favorite part of Star Trek is when they when they play up the, like, Crusher Picard – Attraction. I don't even know. Like it, it gets, it evolves. It gets better, but at this stage, it's, it's very, so... it's very messy and like stereotypical. Like, oh, jealous woman. Yeah, I and, don't. Yeah, I don't like it. I do think that Gates McFadden does a really great job with like the face acting because yeah, she's like all excited to go with him, and then when he's like, oh, and I want to invite that 20th century guy too, and her face is just like. Oh, it's not a date anymore. Yeah, um, and it's and, and she gets it's a great like contrast between her like excited and good acting, not not yeah. happy what it's used for. And with Riker, like he says, <laughs> Oh, the kiss seemed she was like exciting and he's like, It seems so real. And then they have this scene where blatantly Riker just like sits up in his chair and like smiles and you're like, Come on. I feel like that's where it's like it's not really winking. Like it is this wink wink nudge nudge, but but these characters Riker at this point in particular, yep. are just as excited as though you you know like it, they're they're it's also in earnest. It's not just with irony. So I always skipped this episode when I was doing rewatches because yeah. I'm like ah oh, big goodbye whatever. Yeah. But I forgot that in the episode at this point the holodeck is still even new for those characters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. Given where Riker was at watching the small holographic harp ladies in his in the previous episode, I guess for him he's like, "Wow, this is this is an upgrade for me too. We have realistic people that can kiss me in the holodeck." Because no. let's be real, that's what people are using the holodeck for. That's what they're trying to say. They're I like, mean, Yo, this yeah, is, this is what it's for. You have that kind of technology. What's it going to be used for? Let's let's get real. So we finally get to the point of the meeting now because it's not about the holodeck. <laughs> it's actually this important honestly, diplomatic mission that the Enterprise is supposed to be on. Honestly. Like on my rewatch of this, I was like, "Did he call this meeting to tell them about the holodeck?" Like, I had a bunch of fun. Let's <laughs> let's talk about it. Assemble the senior staff. But also, like the the meeting about the Harada mission doesn't seem necessary. They're talking about stuff they all already know, and we as an audience kind of already know. Um, I do find it funny that I think it's Riker who says any any like attempts to contact or to like make contact with the Harada before have failed because they get so irritated with us. I just love that that's the word he uses. <laughs> like he uses they're just irritated. You could say we're bugging them. <laughs> Hooray puns. <laughs> I like puns. Picard doesn't need to rerun the tapes of the last federation encounter. I guess something pretty bad I, I love that they still call them tapes. I love that. At this point. So yeah, funny. I was like, because they say they say that they refer to data storage in uh, the original series as tapes a tapes. lot as well. I love that. And you're like, that's hilarious. So the meeting is adjourned, but Data is intrigued by this whole Dixon Hill thing. Yeah. Jordy mentions it to him and they have a conversation. And he's like, yeah, but how does it compare to the character that I want to always be, <laughs> which is Sherlock Holmes? Right. So they basically have like a detective off, kind essentially, of. is what's going on and here. I, I like, though, that they're bringing that back because it wasn't too long ago. And Star Trek is, or TNG, is a very much like episodic show. There aren't as many like arcs. There are some, but there aren't many. So I like that they bring mm-hmm. that call back that he's like... Yeah, but but is he actually like Sherlock Holmes or let's see. Yeah, do they share the same modus operandi? <laughs> That's what he says. Yeah. So he goes and decides to research Dixon Hill just to see if he's as cool as Sherlock yeah. Holmes is. I also thought it was kind of funny and then it was, and this got me on a bit of a a tangent in my mind, but I thought it was kind of funny that he reads he does this reading on the bridge. And I was like why like couldn't he do this in his quarters and then I was like would that be annoying if you basically lived at work and could do all of your work from your room, you'd probably want to have some boundaries and not do your work in your room. Oh, no, it's because he's doing this on the job. <laughs> he's That's what he's doing. He's, he's multi- <laughs> well, the other thing, too, in Star Trek that they, they edit around because in the show, but they talk about the fact that it even at warp speed, it takes them hours to yeah. get anywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at some point, you just be like sitting at your terminal yeah. and you basically just start scrolling Twitter. Well, that's that's what they're doing. <laughs> I mean, they're just like, oh, I got to check something out and well, see that what's was, going on. That was what I was kind of thinking. I was like, is he? why is he doing this on the bridge? Is he supposed to be working and he's doing this other thing? And then I was like, couldn't he do it from... From his quarters on his own time. But then I was like, but maybe you wouldn't want to. Maybe you want to access the ship's libraries elsewhere. Anyway, 
Not that yeah, important. Yeah, that's that's fair. I yeah, there's yeah. there's a human element to that. Yeah. But he's still he's still researching Dixon Hill on the job. On the job. But I guess there's like a positive creative work culture in the Enterprise, yeah. so that's cool. Yeah, that's good. Picard goes back to the holodeck. This time he's wearing like a 1940s suit. Big boxy uh, yeah. suit. He's so he's he's and he's got uh Waylon with him and you know, it always when when a new episode when a new uh, character shows up in an episode of Star Trek you know that person's life is in danger. <laughs> He's even wearing a red tie. <laughs> I wonder if that's a nod to the. Oh, I, I I wondered that too. Yeah, because you know, as as for those of you who don't watch the original series, when when anyone showed up in a red shirt, the the running joke is that they were dead. Yeah. they were just going to die. Yeah. When you have like three of the main characters and then one random one new person shirt, who shows up on, can die on this mission. They're they are dead. Yeah, like, they are so dead, and that's supposed to give the illusion that there's danger going on danger. or whatever. I've also I've also heard that character, so they're referred to as red shirts, or uh, I've, and I've also heard them as ensign extra. Yes, and data a uh, data shows up. Yeah, so data's dressed properly, and and they're he's all ready to he's he's now completely familiar with the texts and everything else, and he's ready to go in. Yeah, yeah. So they go. There's a really cool shot of like first you see the sort of. 1940s San Francisco like street scene through the door of the of the holodeck with like the the Enterprise walls on one side and then you see it like from the perspective of in the holodeck you see the scene but you also see the doorway and you can see the corridor in the background and like what's going on I think that's really that's a really cool shot yeah, they are cool scenes, yeah. and uh, they give that idea that there's a whole other reality inside of this one room, and then the doors close, and once they close, the door fades away. Yeah. Even if seen, you can actually see people sort of walking behind it, yeah. you know, as yeah, they walk so by cool. to let you know that it's it's part. Of, it's now that wall has now faded into the illusion of of the holiday. Yeah. So um, Picard looks at a newspaper. So we've got Hitler on the move. Yeah, they're trying to orient themselves yeah. to like that time or whatever. Uh, Roosevelt presses Congress for British aid and. Dimaggio doesn't know Dimaggio. how to say Dimaggio. Uh, streak, I probably would have said it the same way. Probably, yeah. Uh, but that he's got a his his streak has reached thirty seven. Um, there's a weird little thing. I don't. I feel like this is probably racist. I think when it totally is. Yeah, it must be right when the newspaper seller is like like looks at Dayton's like, eh, you're not from around here, and Picard's like, he's South American. It. I don't know. I didn't like it. They comment on the skin tone. Yeah, and I was like, what? A couple episodes ago, I raised the question. I'm like, who is the who's the target audience yeah. of this show? Not who people is con- from South America, clearly. Right. So who is considered the alien? Mm-hmm. So if you if you say that to someone and they immediately respond like, oh, he's alien, he's from South America, yeah. then I guess the the population that we're writing for is still a certain demographic. Very much so. Right? So, yeah. So like, it, not to read into it too much, but yeah, it's like, oh, okay, well. You know, later on they change that and they end up saying the date is European. Oh, <laughs> but, do oh yeah, they do. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Later yeah. on in the series, it might have, it might actually be an evolution of someone recognizing yeah, that like, this that is not an not okay cool. thing to say. Yeah, it's super. Ugh. But they see a headline to say that the woman Arthur Clinton Bradley, whom had spoken to Picard Mrs. earlier, Arthur is Mrs. Arthur Clinton Bradley. Mrs. Yeah, Mrs. Arthur Clinton Bradley is dead. Dead. And Picard's like, "Wow, I should have listened to her." And I thought. Gee, that's interesting. We still say that a lot now. Mm-hmm. Yep. When women are like, someone's trying to kill me. And we were like, ah, oh, we don't always take those threats seriously. No. So yeah. that's still a thing. So Picard is feeling guilty that uh, this has happened. And as he's in the street, he gets accosted by some police officers because they found the business card that she had taken on her. And now he is a suspect in her murder. I feel like that's pretty shaky evidence. It is very shaky I don't evidence. Think, I don't think like murderers tend to leave their business card on their victims, I don't think. Yeah, they also know that he's a private detective. So it makes complete sense to say, well, he, you know, she was probably worried yeah. and went and sought out his his super, help. So super weird. It doesn't, that part doesn't really doesn't make, make any sense. sense. But we've got like, th- there's a clear like, like good cop, bad cop set up here with the, yeah. one of the cops is, I mean, these are the people that uh, the secretary was talking about. So one of them is, I think, uh, Detective McNary, who is Dixon Hill's friend, and the other one is uh, Detective Detective Bell, his new partner, and he doesn't like Dixon Hill. And that was the one who was yeah. nosing around, I think. Yeah, for no reason. Yeah, yeah. We don't know why he doesn't like. He just doesn't. No. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Harada probe the ship. Uh, yeah, it shakes the entire ship around. Yeah, with with is, purple light, which just seems really like if you're a xenophobic isolationist species, you don't think that your probing would be so dramatic. 
Like, that yeah. would be really stealthy and from a distance. Yeah. But to add some drama to the show, it shakes the whole ship around being probed by their scanners. But one thing I wanted to point out, so they, well, actually two things. The first thing is that they're like, all right, it's time for you to greet us in our language, which it's a little funny because Picard, before entering the holodeck, said that it's 11 hours before I'm supposed to meet with the Harada. So clearly he thought he had time to do this, but... Yeah, it's like maybe they accelerated their schedule or yeah. something. The yeah. other thing that I was wondering, so Riker says, like, Riker talked to them and they're like, you're not, you're not the captain. And he's like, no, sir, I'm not. With most insects, it's only the drones who are male. And, and like the, the worker bees and stuff like that are female, I think. Isn't that the case? I don't know enough about biology. So. Well, I should really know about this, shouldn't I? Given that I, I work for a honeybee yeah, shop. Yeah, no, I know but, it is yeah. for, I know it is for sure for bees, but I don't know about for all insects. So I wonder if Riker. I thought all the drones were male. Yeah, the drones. The drones are male. Yes. But the, yes. the ones who do the other stuff, which I feel would translate into the, the people who are in charge in like an insect race would would not be sirs. The voice, the sounds like a female voice, but he, but Riker refers to the voice as a sir. Yeah. And I wondered if at one moment, if there was going to be a correction there. Yeah. Because based on like hive biology or whatever, yeah. but they don't go into that. So I, was I like, know. And Riker just seems more pissed off that he doesn't get to be like the one to talk yeah. or be in charge. In my, in my headcanon, Part of the reason they're pissed off is that people have always called them sir, and it's the wrong title. I think that's totally legit. Yeah. That See, you know, that would have actually made a more interesting episode. If it ends up like <laughs> they, they interact with their society and they're like a completely matriarchal society yeah. and that like pisses Riker off and everything else, that would have been more interesting. Yeah, or like they they're did, just but... – like they get, they get pissed off because every time the Federation has encountered them, they're like using the wrong language and making yeah, the they... wrong assumptions. Yeah, they're making yeah, they're being presumptuous about pronouns yeah, and stuff, and so. that that's why their society's like, no, we can't yeah, deal with it. It's you. not that they're xenophobic; it's that they're they're super frustrated. Yeah, rather than being like, let's have an episode where it's fun to be sexist for you know in the holodeck yeah, for a while. Yeah, yeah, because now Crusher shows up. Yeah, we got one of those nice uh, shots that pans up her legs and yeah. Because she, her legs are now clearly visible because she's in the style of the time. Yeah. But as she tries to enter the holodeck, the doors are all like malfunctioning yeah. and she has issues with the doors. And for those of us who are Trek savvy, you'd say, oh, the the holodeck was messed up by this Harada scam. Uh, and uh, at the same time, also uh, Riker sends uh, LaForge to go get the captain from the holodeck. Um, I don't know why he doesn't try to use his communicator, but he sends, he sends LaForge. Um, oh, because, yeah, because they're trying to be communicated with, yes. I also think, again, like, it's uh, super frustrating that it's in the service of this, like, sort of sexist storyline, but I think there's, like, great acting by Gates McFadden that she's, like, clumsy in her heels, and, like, at one point she, like, hikes up her skirt to look more like this other woman who's in the police station and, like, fixes, like, follows her to, like, fix her makeup and her hair. I remember that from seeing it as a kid, and I always, I don't know, I always just liked, liked her, the way she plays this uh this character she does a great job with the role it, it is also clear though that all of this is happening so she can impress the captain very much so right yeah. and you're like okay yeah sure yeah that's what i don't like about it she's really excited about the fact that picard is getting interrogated she's like "Ooh, why aren't we all being interrogated which is you know again let's well, actually, let's talk about the interrogation. I get it because they're looking at it from like, a, oh, we get to play this totally. part of the interactive yeah. story and it's cool. But yes. But it's also yeah, like not maybe not a not actually a fun thing to play if that's ever been yeah. a thing that's a danger for you. Yeah. Which again, maybe like who is the audience or who is the target audience of this show? Yeah. Picard's being interrogated. Uh, Detective Bell is just like, well, tell us again and yelling at him. And Picard's doing this weird part where he's like, oh, this is amazing. I've read all of this. But also he's like, okay, listen, this isn't funny anymore. I actually have to go. I need to get out of here. Yeah. Um, then at the same time, LaForge realizes that he can't communicate with anyone inside of the holodeck or get inside. Yeah. And so Riker and Wesley go to investigate uh, the problem. And then McNary, who is the the cop who is friends with Dixon Hill, says, yeah, you know, like, don't worry about him. His old lady's been giving him a hard time. Which, again, like as for like a, a cop storyline is super problematic, I think, for a couple of reasons. Like the one I think is like if if your partner is giving you a hard time, that's not an excuse to mistreat people in your work. It's not. 
And at first I thought this was going to be like a good cop. It, I mean, obviously it is a good cop, bad cop thing, but I thought it was like intentionally designed to be that way. Like McNary was was just kind of playing a role. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, no, he actually is like just an out of control police officer. Yeah. And now, of course, given the context of this last year, yeah. you're like, oh, okay, this, you know, it's another one of those things where like, this just, police just do this and this is just the way that they interrogate people and this is just due process and how it works. And we're like, well, no, that's not actually really cool because even in, in citing back a discussion about like the home life, uh, demographically speaking, we know that there's like a disturbing number of police officers that are abusing their own spouses yeah. at home. Um, and so, you know, we, it's not okay that this is just how police officers behave. Yeah. Right? So, and also, but the- it's almost like just worn into our, it's woven into narratives that this is just what happens behind closed doors and police precincts and that kind of thing. Yeah, totally. And, and this idea of like, yeah, his, his old lady, I, I assume that's his wife has been giving him a hard time. Like, has she been? <laughs> Is it is, is right. she the yeah. one giving him a hard time? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Um, another cop kind of hits on Crusher, gives her another really gross scene. I know, like yeah. it's just, and it's another one of those things where it's like, ah, oh, this is this is just tongue in cheek. But you're like, I don't know. I think someone's enjoying writing this. Yeah. And it was just kind of like the. Yeah, I do like when he gives her the gum and she just eats it. Which and I was like, first of all, that's hilarious. <laughs> that's hilarious. She doesn't know how it gum is. works. It was hilarious. Second of all. What is she actually eating? Because she's in the holodeck. Yeah, it's one of those things that in the holodeck we don't know like what's what counts as like real and I what's know, not it's real. So we funny. just kind of ignore. I just it. yeah, I, I'm not I'm not trying to like figure it out. I just think it's a funny thing. No, to it's think a good about. point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Wesley and LaForge need to basically go through the the holodeck circuitry. I find it kind of funny that Riker. Like, so before when he was going to see what was going on at the holodeck, Wesley wanted to go with him and he was like, no, you're needed on the bridge. And then Troy was like, listen, his his mother is stuck there too. So he was like, okay, you can come, Wesley. And then they get to the holodeck and LaForge and Wesley are the, the two who can do anything and Riker's just standing there. Like, maybe maybe you're the one who's needed on the bridge, Riker, <laughs> maybe yeah, and the fact that, like, oh, we haven't already thought about the fact that Wesley has come up with ingenious ways of saving us before. Yeah. Like, I have the f- foreknowledge of the rest of the series, but I'd probably be, like, setting Wesley as the first person to go anywhere <laughs> on the Enterprise. Wesley, go fix this. Yeah, yeah. Can you go fix yeah, this, please? Yeah. It's, it's also unfortunate that Troy uh, – Troy does kind of act almost as a conscience for Riker – a lot through the series, mm-hmm. but it's unfortunate that she has to be the one to say, like, hey, that's, you know, that's his blog yeah, that's trapped in yeah. there, right? Like, I don't know if he didn't know that yet at the time, but, I mean, Troy did, so I'm guessing that he mm-hmm. knew that. Well, they, they were both there when uh, when Picard invited Crush. Yeah, so. he just didn't think of it. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that there's a personal element here for Wesley to to be motivated to want to help. The, the cops tell Picard that he can go and leave town, or so he can go, but he can't leave town, um, and Picard is like... Well, if I leave town, the town leaves with me, which is kind of obnoxious to say yeah. <laughs> to these fictional characters. It is true, but yeah, you're like they're like, what do you mean? Yeah. So like Um and then and then McNary mentions that Dixon is dealing with this red block, this Cyrus Redblock character. That, Cyrus Redblock. I'm Cyrus yeah, Redblock. So um and then he's like, Oh, so when are you gonna come over for dinner? It's all very like weirdly broy and but then Picard sees Crusher and is just... Yeah, he's, he's stunned by her wearing anything other than a uniform. Yeah. <laughs> he's probably never seen her wear anything <laughs> else, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. So they, they, their faces are really close to each other when they decide they're going to go back to his office. And Waylon and Data are like, oh, we want to come too. And again, we see like some pretty good face acting from both Gates McFadden and Patrick Stewart when they're... Yeah, you're like, read the room, people. Like, I get it from Data, but Waylon, he's got no excuses. He's just, like, out of touch. Yeah. But also, like, what were they... He's her captain. What were they going to do? I I, I don't know. Yeah. This is more writing that you're like, okay, well, obviously he's not going to go anywhere because we gotta we want to draw this thing out between them. Yeah. Anyway, they get to the office and the guy who showed up before, who is we learn is Felix Leach, the Mr. Leach that the secretary was talking about, is waiting for them in the office. And Picard's like, well, actually, we have to go because he knows that they have the Harada thing. Um, but he pulls out a gun and everyone gets really excited to have a gun pointed at them. Yeah, they're like, oh, we're, we're getting into the plot now. Yeah. This is really exciting. 
Until until Leech pulls the trigger and shoots Waylon, and Waylon actually falls to the floor. And I think at first everyone's like, "Oh, is he just like getting into they it? All, is he just yeah, acting?" Like, like Crusher's like clapping her hands <laughs> with excited. Good performance. Yeah. And then Waylon lifts his hand, and he's bleeding. Yeah. And he says, "But wait, it's not supposed to be real." Yeah, like, and he also, uh, sorry, Leech has also mentioned that uh, Dixon Hill has this has this object or was hired to locate this object. So it's a little the bit item. of a, the item, yes, that, that yeah. the, uh, Mrs. Bradley brought up. But uh, Picard punches Leech, and so he runs off to get Redblock, and then they try to look for the, the exit, uh, or they try to call for the exit. Usually they just say exit, and it shows up, but it, this time it doesn't. Yeah, and so they're starting to freak out. Yeah. He asks Data to go find the other door. I don't, I guess they, at this point, the holodeck has two doors. Yeah, I don't think that's ever the case later on, but. No, I don't, yeah. Yeah. And, and so now Picard's getting desperate. So he calls out, he's like, computer, this is the captain. Identify the exit. And they can't find it. I think it's so funny that he's like, he's like, well, the computer's not listening to me. Maybe if I say that I'm the captain, maybe then it'll maybe start then to listen. It'll respond. Yeah. I'm in charge. Listen to me, <laughs> computer. I gotta say that the next time my computer breaks, yeah. I'll be like, "I'm your captain." I'm your captain. Turn on. There's a little, there's a little bit of comedy also when like Crusher's like, "I could use some light," and Data like picks up this floor lamp to bring across, and it like the, it gets unplugged, and he's like looking at it trying to fix the light, and then Picard plugs it in somewhere else, and he's like, "Oh, I guess I fixed it." <laughs> he doesn't doesn't know how plugs work. Doesn't know how electricity works yeah. in this century. Uh, Leech returns with this giant man. Who is Cyrus? He's a Cy- I'm Cyrus Redblock. He is, and I guess he's like he's kind of like the kingpin arch rival in this. Te- I, he's almost like he's a gangster. He's like a crime lord. Oh, I read this somewhere and then I forgot. But he was he's played by someone who was his name. Actually, I do have his name. It's uh, Lawrence Tierney. Um, okay, but he he played a bunch of characters in like older movies, like like actually old movies that were made a long time ago that that had this sort of film noir. Like actual sort of film noir movies that oh cool that yeah is, so I think they cast him for that reason. Uh, this is also not the only episode of Star Trek he shows up in. So he okay. I know that he's at least in one episode of Deep Space Nine as well. Oh, oh nice. Okay. And he very similar kind of role. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> as you can imagine. Nice. He's the kind of villain who I just find infuriating. Who's like all philosophical and talks about how important it is to be polite, but like will also just kill you. This is another one of those things where real life squeezed into the episode a bit for me mm. because in the midst of uh, protest and like against police brutality, there was these calls for civility. Yeah. Oh, we should have civility, which really means be quiet and stop complaining about things. Yeah. Uh, it, it, that's all it really means. And that's that's what he does. He's like, let's be civil. Come on, gentlemen, let's be civil while talking casually about killing people and whatever else and it is so infuriating <laughs> yeah it i i hate it and like crusher kind of calls him on it and says that all this killing is so senseless and i i wrote down actually one of his lines because it just bugged me so much he wrote he says senseless killing is immoral but killing for a purpose can be quite often ingenious how many times do governments use philosophies like totally, that yeah and and his his purpose actually in killing so for uh for Whalen it was about the item I think but right now that or later on he's thinking about like killing because Picard and Data are trying to explain that none of this is real and they're on the holodeck which of course doesn't work but th- now he's like well let's see if if none of this is real let's try killing someone so that's his purpose like it's very it's a quest for knowledge he says which I don't know I I I don't like villains like that I don't I don't like villains who get off weirdly philosophical and like well-mannered in this the reason why i think it bothers them is that it, it seems so real like you can hear stuff yeah. like that being said by people who are wielding power that there's actually some kind of like thoughtfulness or philosophy mm-hmm. behind what they're doing yeah. or you know that some killing is justified and let's just be civil about things and you're like Ugh. Yeah. so it was it was gross because there's just you hear too much of that kind of phrasing yeah. used by people wielding power unjustly now in mm-hmm. society so i was like oh man i want this guy to to go away i also read that the lawrence tierney the guy who plays him was kind of like a super uh sexist and homophobic jerk to will wheaton that he like he asked him if he played football and and Will Wheaton was like no and he was like why not are you some kind of sissy and then used a slur for gay people oh my goodness yeah so <laughs> I also don't like the actor for that reason wow yeah yeah uh, there you go so yeah too too much of this of this era which has not changed even in our own time yeah uh, bleeding through this episode so yeah it's one of the reasons I was like nah, this is kind of oh, yeah. This is gross. Anyways, Red Block tells Leech to kill Crusher because they're trying to extract from 
Dixon Hill or Picard where the item is. Yeah. And we still don't know what the item is. Yeah. Uh, and so Picard tries to tell them, like, what's actually going on. He's like, we're from another world. Yeah. And if the, and that world has riches. He's trying to bait them, yeah. basically. He's like, that world has riches. And we can get you there if you give us the opportunity to get our wounded crew member out of here. Yeah. And they don't know. I don't know at this point if they're like, well, maybe we could get him to, like, a holographic hospital. <laughs> we can get him help. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 not clear what it is they want to. Yeah, if he wants to, he's like, let's maybe you can help us fix the computer, but I don't know how they're going to do that from within the holodeck. Yeah, they're like, what's a computer? And <laughs> which you know makes sense. So Cyrus is he's like, make your thoughts fruitful and your words make your thoughts fruitful and your words eloquent. <laughs> Riker at this point, they've arrived at the at the Harad homeworld, and they're like, we need to say something to them because they're expecting us to communicate. So Riker is like, okay, well, I'm just going to try to to talk to them myself but as soon as they open communications the ron just like fill the comm system with static and they're basically like no we don't want to talk to you we only want to talk to the but captain. i also feel like what was Riker planning on saying because he's like this is the first officer and we demand that you and then that's when they like buzz at him but like what why why are you being so adversarial I guess they're really trying to show that out of the two, Riker is not the diplomat. Like that's not <laughs> that's not his skill set. It's funny because I think later in the series he actually is a diplomatic, is like a good diplomat later. I think part of that is to demonstrate the the relationship between the two and how Picard's influence kind yeah, of changes character growth. Riker's command style. But right now, this is just raw this is just Riker who's like Get out of the holodeck so I could use the holodeck. This is this this is what's going on. He's like, I am so frustrated that we have to deal with real life. I and these aliens and these insects. I just want to be in the holodeck. That's all he cares about. That's what he's thinking right now. Oh, Riker. Yeah, I think we talked recently about how they really didn't know what they were doing with his character at the beginning. Or not they didn't know what they were doing, but they, they really hadn't settled on a good character for Riker early on. Yeah. And this is this is part this of this early, early, early TNG. Yeah, very much. They figure out, uh, LaForge and Wesley figure out what the problem is in the holodeck. And, uh, Wesley's like, it's risky to, to fix it because it could end up like killing everyone inside, but it's not that they need more time. It's like, we know what the thing is. It's just a risky thing to do. Yeah. And it's, it's, this is another aspect of, okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Let me, let me talk <laughs> about the holodeck for a talk second. Talk about the holodeck. I hate the holodeck. Oh. I do. It's. I think it's the dumbest piece of all the technology on the show. Okay. And I get that it's a way to kind of get the character. It's like their way of having a TARDIS from Doctor Who. Let's just put the characters in any time and any place. And we can have these little side stories and adventures. But it's a murder box. Because <laughs> it... It's literally every time they go into it, they're like, it's going to kill – something breaks and it's going to kill us. There is no way that this thing – this this basically every time they go on it, something like this happens. The safeties get disengaged. They get trapped inside. And in this one, they even say, oh, if we just turn it off, not only will it erase the holographic characters, it might erase the crew. You're like, why do somehow, you have this somehow, on your spaceship? Yeah. I really don't like the holodeck episodes typically. Um, this is just me. But I'm always like, it's unrealistic. It seems to be unrealistic. It's this really dangerous piece of technology gets left on the Enterprise, especially <laughs> after something like this happens. They're like, why is, why is it that it's killing people? Anyways, yeah. so Wesley does say he could shut it down, but it might just make everyone cease to exist. They have to do it anyway. But the, before before it works, there's this like, he like puts them all in this snowy scene for about five seconds. Oh yeah, I forgot. Yeah, I forgot about that. Like it, yeah, it malfunctions and glitches, and all of a sudden they're out in like the snow. And poor Wayland's just lying there with a blanket in the snow, dying, dying. And then they come back, and they're they've got snow on them, but the door opens. Door opens, and I I guess they're at the other exit because Wesley and Jordy are not right there. Right. Yeah, they're not standing right beside it. Yeah. So I guess that was a way for them to have them be able to walk or yeah. leave the holodeck and not have the other characters then for them to interact with. Yeah. But because Picard has told them, like, there's this world of riches out there. Yeah. They're like, oh, okay, well, let's go. Let's go out of this world. So Cyrus Redblock walks out. He's like, new new worlds, new worlds to conquer, new worlds to conquer and explore. Redblock and Leech decide to leave the holodeck to explore the ship. They, oh, we forgot to say actually earlier that uh, McNary showed up, the other cop, the the cop that is oh right yeah you know, he's there yeah. and um he gets punched in the face he's there yeah he got punched in the face but so so then uh red block tells his other hench person his unnamed hench as i like to call him um he says 
I, I, once we're gone, kill all of these people um, and make sure no one ever finds their bodies. And and McNary's like, you can't kill a cop and get away with it. Um, again. And he's like, well, I, he's like, why not? I did it before. Yeah. yeah. Which I knew he was going to say, of, of course. Of course. And I also, I also feel like that kind of thing is is meant to show us just how evil he is. Like, wow, he's so bad. He he's even killed a cop before, and like like that somehow killing a cop who has made the decision to take a line of work that they know will put their life in danger that is somehow worse than just killing other people. We talk about the the death of police officers and there's been a, a whole like counter push against things like black lives yeah. matters by responding with things like blue lives matters yeah. and this idea of the thin blue line that's like shielding society but when those riots went or when the the, the capitol building was stormed yeah. and a police officer actually killed was killed yeah. all of a sudden it was like well now you're just our enemy as well yeah. so yeah. Yeah. it's all of that was was totally bogus this yeah. idea that you know there's a righteousness that's upheld yeah. um here it's like it just it totally that narrative was was BS. So I don't think like I'm not by any means saying that it's that, that that makes it okay that murder is okay if it's a cop by any means. But what I what I do think is that there is this attitude of like it's especially evil to that that police officers' lives are more valuable than anyone else's. And I think that there's a big problem with that mentality, that police officers' lives are more valuable. And I think that this, that line about, well, I've killed cops before, I think that that plays into that narrative of like, we need to, we we can't hold police officers accountable because their lives are more important than anyone else's. To be clear, I, I don't, I'm not a law enforcement officer i have done like community work and i can't imagine how difficult some of that work is Mm -hmm. um but it's also more the reason why at the time i thought it made a lot of sense when we were talking about defunding police because the work that they do needs to be diversified among other groups of people who have the kind of training to deal with things like mental health concerns and um because we're asking police officers to be like these all-in-one contacts with the community and I don't think that's so. I could totally imagine how difficult that work is, and so totally. Um, Which is, and yeah. so we need people to support them as well. And I, I don't think that message always came across uh, or was obfuscated by people pushing against the defund movement. Yeah, because that's yeah, the defund movement was never about. Well, it's so easy to be a police officer; they shouldn't have any money. It was about. Co- community safety is not something that you can just leave to one group of people with a very narrow skill set. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. So Cyrus Redblock, tempted by the riches of the Enterprise, <laughs> steps out of the holodeck and, and very not immediately, slowly. very slowly from the feet up, they because they've left the grid, their bodies begin to dissolve in reality. And it's funny because he's just like, you can't do this to me. I'm Cyrus Redblock. You hear me? So it has the same. And, and then they're like at the end, there's like this echo. Cyrus Redblock. Redblock. Yeah. The through same, the... the same energy to me as when Picard's like, computer, this is the captain. Yeah. You can't do this to me. Oh, baby. I have power. Yeah. So Cyrus Redblock and Leech. Leech was a total dick. I'm glad that he dissolved. I was like, yeah, uh, I'm not going to I mean, see. yeah, they were all. They're all they're both dicks. Yeah. They're both dicks. But Leech in particular, he was just, he was way too eager to be shooting Totally. People. Yeah. Um, so they both dissolve and they're gone. And then Data disarms the henchman too, just by grabbing his gun and basically pinching in the ends of it, and <laughs> yeah. and so that it's and then just dropping it on the yeah. floor. And then he, I like how he looks at the captain. And he's like, "With your permission, and sir." Punches and then the, the captain's like, "Permission granted." Just punches him right in the face. And then he like, and then he kind of shrugs his shoulder and like tugs at his suit yeah, a little bit. Just, you know, I I actually really love. I know I I actually didn't didn't know until uh, just now that you don't like holodeck episodes, but. I love when when Brent Spiner as Data gets to play other roles. That is okay. So there are some there are some redeemable qualities to holodeck episodes. I just think the number of times the holodeck I'm I'm foreshadowing <laughs> here, but the number of times holodeck malfunctions yeah. and puts people's lives at risk, you're like, okay, are we doing another the holodeck breaks episode? Yeah. It gets a little. Tired. No, you're right. You're totally right. I just I I love I think Brent Spiner is so talented in that way that he can play Data playing other characters like so data like yeah. when he does that little shrug it's so it's so clearly data being this 1940s character 
And it's just yes, it's so yeah. well done. And we're going to see uh, a little bit more of Brent Spiner's acting chops in the next uh, episode. Yeah, so yeah. just thinking forward one. to that too. Yeah. yeah. So finally, finally, Data, like I feel like this should have been the first thing they did when they had the exit, but finally Picard tells Data to take Waylon to sickbay. And so they leave Data, Crusher, Waylon are all gone. And then Picard and McNary have a this sort of emotional goodbye where they're talking about reality and like, is this uh, McNary's like, when you leave, is this all going to disappear? And Picard's like, I don't know. I wish I could take you with me, which I feel like this is supposed to have a lot of emotional resonance. And it does not for me. When I watched the episode, it didn't even occur to me until later. I was like, oh, I guess they have a long standing relationship. Because up until now, the only thing that that guy did was kind of provide some comfort when he was being interrogated by another cop <laughs> and then was came over to have a drink with him but was interrupted by being punched yeah. in the face but so I was yeah like, dixon hill and and this character must have had a history yeah but i you don't really no. see it much and then so given that the episode's called the the big goodbye i was like is this supposed to be a big goodbye to the holodeck is it supposed to be a good a big goodbye to picard deciding to not indulge in fantasy anymore like am i i was like is there supposed to be more philosophy to this because the part with the characters didn't hit like at all so i was trying to figure out if there was more yeah and mcnary does say i guess this is the big goodbye also though i think the big goodbye is meant to be the title of the dixon hill novel Mm -hmm, which is based i think there's like there's a book called the long goodbye and a book called the big sleep which are both like detective novels so i think they just kind of put them together to make this riffing off of it yeah so that it's it's so funny though because on the bridge they're like okay we got it this is so fast we gotta we're in a rush we gotta get this get the captain and then like once the captain gets the exit he just like you know has this long drawn out conversation with McNary. It's a no rush, yeah. I guess he figures like everything's probably fine. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I'm not a doctor. I don't know. Yeah. So um, they leave the holodeck, and the holodeck kind of like when they close the doors, it just fades off inside. Yeah. So you think okay, well that reality's gone. Yeah. Now this scene, I really like. That's why I wish the episode had dealt more with this subplot rather than the other story. So Picard, like a badass diplomat, just walks onto the bridge, throws his suit down on the chair, yeah. and delivers the perfect enunciation of the alien greeting to the yeah. Murata. In his, in his, yeah, in his what suit. I'm going to do is splice it into the episode yeah, here. do it. So here it is. Ad klaxon ris blajblan armik karmik. You have honored us with your words of greeting. And there you go. As he's saying that, Troy is like mouthing along with him. She's like yeah. mouthing the yeah, words. Yeah, because they've practiced. Clearly they've practiced yeah, it together. So yeah, sweet. it's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Then when Picard tells them to leave orbit, he does not say engage, but he says, step on it. Step on it. A nice little ending to a not perfect by any means episode. It's it's evolving. The, the, the series is still evolving. They yeah. will take the good from something like this and leave. There are other parts that start getting left behind, yeah. I think, as the show evolves. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, this is the only episode of Star Trek that won a Peabody Award. You said that earlier and I was I was surprised yeah, by that. It's <laughs> like a, a Peabody Award is for like powerful, enlightening, and invigorating stories. So... Yeah. Maybe 1988. This is powerful, enlightening, and invigorating. I don't know. One thing, actually, I did recently saw on uh, Instagram. Someone posted a, a picture of uh, Brent Spiner, Patrick Stewart, and uh, Gates McFadden in their costumes. They're like 1940s costumes. And then Will Wheaton cool. posted on his. It was and it was like when they were when they were filming this. It was like a behind the scenes photo. And Will Wheaton posted it on his story and said that like he always wished that he'd had the chance to be in one of those like 1940s holodeck scenes. Like he never he never got the chance, but he wished he had. I guess Wesley never does get to go along any of the holodeck adventures. Not many of them. I don't think. No, not no. I don't think he. No, he doesn't. I mean, he's on the. He does stuff on the holodeck on by himself, but I don't think he gets to tag along on any of like the quests. Maybe, maybe when you're hanging out with your adult friends, you don't also want your friends' teenage child to come sometimes. No, and I, I think yeah, that's that's exactly why they're trying to get some like me time, yeah. whatever on the holodeck. Yeah. They don't want Wesley kicking around. They, you don't want it to being a Whalen. Yeah. <laughs> 
Poor Wayland. Poor Wayland. So there we go. That was this episode. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of With the First Link. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast provider of choice. Our cover art was created by Nathan Nunn. You can find more of his work at nathannunn.ca. Our theme song is An Amazing Adventure by Flame Lion Studio. You can follow us on Instagram at firstlinkpod, or you can send us an email at firstlinkpod at gmail.com. And tell us if you've ever found yourself questioning whether reality is real or if this is all just a simulation. I'm Ruthie. And I'm Matthew. Computer, this is the co-host. Identify exit. 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 Exit.